Don't want to work forever? Once you can cover your living expenses with passive income, your day job becomes optional and you reach financial independence. You then have complete control over your time, your money, and your life in general. Spark Rental founders Denny Suplee and Brian Davis, me, are here to help you build rental income, ditch your day job, and do what matters most to you. So on that note, let's jump into today's episode, which, like all of our episodes, was recorded live. Hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome to Spark Rentals, Facebook Live, podcast, YouTube, everything. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in and please let us know where you're tuning in from. And then during this, please let us know if you have any questions and it doesn't even have to pertain to this. Just let us know what questions you might have. Last week, we talked with Nora Dunn about how to travel the world for less than living at home, which Brian knows all about. <laughs> <laughs> all and about the nomadic lifestyle. Serious. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But um, this week, we're going to be discussing financing for LLC-owned properties, which has its own nuances. So, Brian, I'm handing it off to you. Let's talk about, real quick, about traditional mortgage lenders and how that works with LLCs. Sure. Well, you know, that's that's one of the first questions that a lot of people have when they first get into real estate investing is, you know, I want to create a legal entity like an LLC to buy properties with, but will I then qualify for a mortgage loan to buy a property? And the answer is yes. In some cases, there are some traditional mortgage loan programs that do allow legal entity buyers. That being said, they do require you to sign a personal guarantee. So you're still on the hook, right? You're, you're, you're still signing on the bottom line personally. <laughs> so if you default on that loan, the lender's going to come after you personally, not just the LLC's assets, you know, the, the property and, you know, maybe any other properties that that LLC owns. They're also going to come after you and your house and your dog and your car and, <laughs> you know. The, uh, the dog could be a good thing sometimes. No, it could be kidding. a show dog, you know, like maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's valuable. I don't know. But yeah, that, you know, that's usually a requirement with any of these Loan. So that's not unique to traditional mortgage lenders, but there are some downsides that are unique to traditional mortgage lenders. Uh, one is that they do report on your credit, which may not seem like a bad thing. Uh, you know, you're planning on paying this on time in full every month, of course. Uh, but you know, one or two mortgages on your credit is good for your credit. You know, 10 or 15 mortgages on your credit, probably not so great for your credit. <laughs> uh, but the bigger issue is that most of these traditional mortgage programs, they put a, a maximum on the number of mortgages that you can have reporting on your credit before you no longer qualify for the mortgage. And in, in most cases, that maximum is four mortgages reporting on your credit. Just out, out of that... curiosity. Sorry, I interrupted. I always do. <laughs> it's um... all right. We're among <laughs> friends here. LLC. Does it report to the LLCs? Because you have an EIN. So does it report to the LLCs credit? the business or your individual? It can report uh, for business credit, but normally uh, it reports on personal. It always reports on your personal credit. Uh, in some cases, they report uh, for your business credit, but in most cases, they just stick with personal because that's what traditional mortgage lenders are used to. You know, they're set up for personal credit reporting. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, that's a problem when uh, you basically have a, a cap of four traditional mortgages total. Uh, in some Traditional loan programs do have a, a cap of 10 mortgages allowed reporting on your credit, you know, before they disqualify you as a borrower. 
Um, but in most cases, it's four. So that means that you, you know, for your first couple properties, you can take out a conventional mortgage loan, but you hit, you hit that ceiling really quickly. These are usually the cheapest option, but not by much. I mean, you know, we're not talking about a big difference in pricing here. Um, you know, maybe a quarter of a point or something. So yeah, that, they are a viable option for your first couple properties is the bottom line. So you can right. take out a, a conventional mortgage loan to buy an LLC owned property, but don't count on this as your, your permanent solution for funding, financing your investment properties. Uh, which takes us to the next option. So if you buy a fixer upper, which mm. is you know often the, the bread and butter of real estate investors, uh, what most people do is they take out a hard money loan. So these are short-term loans that are purchase rehab loans. So they'll lend you a certain percentage of the purchase price, you know, usually up to 80 or 90% of the purchase price. They'll also lend you usually 100% of the renovation costs. And then as soon as the property has been completed, you know, as soon as all the renovations are finished, you have to either sell the property as a flip or refinance it as a Burr deal. And you're not familiar now, with that it's acronym. probably good to know also that for the rehab portion, some banks require like an escrow account and then you have to show them the bill and then they, is that typically how that yeah. goes or do they... So what, what usually happens with hard money loans is they'll set up a draw schedule. So mm -hmm. uh, if it's, I'm just going to make up numbers here. If it's $50,000 in renovation costs, there might be five different draws of $10,000 a piece. So you go out and you make the, uh, the first $10,000 worth of repairs. You pay for that yourself up front. And then the lender sends out an inspector to review the work, make sure that, the, that it's done uh, at a, a minimum quality level that they accept. Uh, and then they reimburse you that $10,000 for those uh, those renovations. And then you move on to the next draw and you, you do the next $10,000 worth of repairs. And again, you're paying uh, upfront for materials uh, and so forth. Um, but And then the, the hard money lender reimburses you uh, a draw at a time until all of the renovations are complete. So you definitely don't want to let the contractors get ahead of you there. You want to make sure that you are not paying them up front for work that has not been completed. Ideally, you can just pay the contractor out of the draw from the lender. So you're not coming out of pocket for the labor, but you are still going to have to come out of pocket for their materials. So yeah, hard money loans, they're expensive, uh, but they're, they're pretty quick and flexible and they're short term, right? So you know who cares if you're paying 12% interest for mm -hmm. four or five months, right? It's the, the upfront fees and uh, so forth. So <laughs> what's going on over there, Denny? I thought I turned it off. Anyway. <laughs> no worries. Uh, you know how many times I've done that on this podcast? <laughs> uh, so anyway, so that's number two is uh, hard money lenders, which are short-term purchase rehab lenders. You know, as soon as the renovations are finished, you either sell the property as a flip or you refinance it. Uh, with a long-term mortgage, uh, which brings us to, you know, who do you refinance with for a long-term mortgage on a rental property? And the answer that a lot of real estate investors use is what we're called portfolio lenders. So, and, and in some cases, they're the exact same lenders as, as hard money lenders. Um, they just offer both different types of loans. Um, so portfolio lenders keep these loans within their own portfolios, hence the name. You know, they're not bundling and selling these loans off to big corporate investors the way that traditional mortgage lenders do. You know, that's what happens when you go out and you borrow a conventional mortgage loan from a bank is within a month or two, they just bundle it and sell it off to someone like Wells Fargo or Bank of America. And then that's who you pay your 
loan to for the rest of you know, the 30 years or whatever. Portfolio lenders, they keep the loan in-house on their own books. So that makes these loans much more flexible than conventional mortgage loans, which have to fit within preset programs, usually by mm-hmm. Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or by a government-sponsored loan like FHA or VA. So they're a little bit more expensive than conventional loans, but not much. And these are really designed for investors, for legal entities like LLCs. They do require a personal guarantee, just like a conventional mortgage loan. Credit still matters a lot, but they don't typically report to the credit bureaus. And there is no limit for how many mortgages you can have reporting to the credit bureaus. And most of these do not verify your personal income. Your income is not a factor in these. Instead, what they usually use is a uh, cash flow calculation called debt service coverage ratio or DSCR for short. And that is a measure of how well the rental property itself cash flows. They want to make sure that you're not losing money on this property every month. So there is usually a minimum DSCR for each one of these loans. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So do you think some people probably start out you know, get four traditional loans and then they want to get more and they move into the portfolio. That's what a lot of people do. Um, You know, personally, I think you're just as well off going directly to the portfolio lenders Mm -hmm. uh, for your long-term rental property mortgages. Um, Start establishing relationships with these lenders. You do want to have relationships with more than one in case one of them turns you down. You know, maybe they just don't happen to like that deal that you're doing. And the more loans that you do with a specific lender, the more trust you build up with that lender and you you build an actual relationship with them. I mean, this is not like a a faceless, soulless corporation that you're working with. It's typically a small company, a small lender. Uh, You're going to be working with the same one or two people every time. Same underwriters are going to be underwriting your loans and they'll give you better terms. They'll, They'll give you better interest rates, lower fees, lower points as you establish a relationship with them because lenders price loans based on risk, right? I mean, that's, that's, (laughs) uh, that is what determines, uh, how much they're going to charge. So, you know, the, the higher the risk, the more of a return they need to earn to justify that risk. So, uh, you know, as you become a lower risk borrower, they charge you less and that's the bottom line. So, you know, if I were starting from scratch today as a rental investor, I would not mess around at all with conventional mortgage lenders. I would go straight to portfolio lenders for long-term mortgages. If we only knew this. <laughs> oh, in- you know, the things I didn't know when I was in my 20s starting out as a real estate investor, you could fill 10 books with the stuff I didn't know uh, <laughs> about real estate investing. You know, obviously there's a ton of stuff I don't know about other stuff too. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> Which is why I ended up losing money on a lot of those properties when I first started real estate investing and why we do things like maintain our blog and our podcast and offer free classes, you know, so that hopefully you can learn some of these lessons the easy way rather than the hard (laughs) and expensive way that I did. It's like our mistakes and losses became tuition, college, kind of, for... That's definitely how I look at my losses in in real estate in the early years is, uh, is, is the tuition of education. Right. Right. Uh, you know, some people, when they take a loss on a real estate investment, you know, they run for the hills and they never touch real estate again. Uh, at that point, it is just a straight loss. Uh, if you look at it as you know, the cost of education and you move on and do better with your next deal, then it's, it's tuition, right? It's the cost of education. Yes, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about unsecured business lines of credit. How does this fall into this? Yeah. So instead of going out and 
borrowing a mortgage loan, like a fixed installment loan, you can use rotating lines of credit. And in particular, unsecured business lines of credit. You can also use secured lines of credit like HELOCs, you know, whether against your personal home or against existing rental properties you own that have good equity already built up. But as a real estate investor, the bottom line here is that you do qualify for business credit, both in the form of rotating lines of credit and also unsecured business credit cards, both of which you can basically use the same way. You know, I can hear the first objection and question that people are thinking when they hear that is, you know, well, wait a minute, you know, credit cards are not designed for pulling cash out. You know, most of them have a much lower cash advance limit than the actual total credit limit, and they charge hefty cash advance fees. You can get around that basically with tools like plastic, spelled with a Q at the end instead of a C. <laughs> so the way it works is they basically charge you as if it's a purchase, and then they give you the cash and they take their cut. I think plastic charges 2.9% for their service, which is lower than most cash advance fees. You know, typical cash advance fees are around 4%, you know, give or take a percentage point. Yeah, they're um, ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, so that's expensive. But but the bigger issue too is that, uh, you know, there is a, a limit on cash advances that's lower than your total credit card limit. Yeah. Plastic gets around that too. So, so you can use your business credit cards as a line of credit. You can pull money out. And you can also put obviously materials like right on the card itself. You can literally go to Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever and swipe the card, or you can give the card number to your contractor if you really trust them. <laughs> um, <laughs> Only if you really trust yeah, them. Yeah, if you really, really trust them to cover materials. And you know, a good chunk of that 2.9% that you're paying to someone like plastic, a good chunk of that you might get back in the form of rewards, like reward, like travel reward points, uh, you know, or cash back. Um, so, you know, you might get half or even most of that 2.9% back in the form of rewards. So it can be close to uh, a net neutral or a fee neutral um, form of borrowing. Now, the other downside here is that you're going to have high interest rates on these. Um, but you, so you shouldn't use this for like 30 year financing, right? Like it's, it shouldn't take the place of oh. a 30 year mortgage loan. Um, but you can use it for things like renovations uh, or, you know, if you're, if you're buying a, a uh, low cost property that you think you can pay it off within a year or two. You can do that. You can use it for a down payment on a property. So, you know, you go Maybe to an a auction that's inexpensive. Yeah. So, if you go to a portfolio lender and they lend, let's say they lend you 80% of the purchase price of a rental property, you could use your unsecured business credit lines or your credit cards for the other 20%. And then you're going to want to pay that off really quickly, right? <laughs> so that you're not carrying a balance that's costing you 15% or oh. 20% interest, sometimes even worse than that. You know, I, I did this once. I, I uh, put a property and its renovations on a credit card, and then I just made that my number one financial priority. You know, and I paid it off within like I don't know six or seven months or something. So that is an option. And bear in mind that as a business owner, you can qualify for higher credit balances potentially mm -hmm. than you might qualify for for a personal credit card. So you know, we've worked with a company called Fund and Grow, and we'll include a, a link to it here in the in the uh, the comments and the show notes. They help you open between one hundred thousand and two hundred fifty thousand dollars in total business credit, unsecured business credit, within a year. They do it in the, over the course of three fundraising sessions, basically like one when you first open the account, uh, you know, another one in about six months, and then another one after about a year, um, and you know, they, they scrub your, per, your credit uh, report 
uh, in between each round of fundraising to remove all of the uh, the past applications and stuff. And they they really work with you and do all the heavy lifting. Uh, lifting. They do charge a uh, a one time upfront fee uh, for their service, but it's totally worth it. Uh, they're great to work with. Um, so that is another option on the table uh, as you're trying to build out like a financing toolkit if, if we're going to be nerdy about it. So keep that in mind uh, as an option to fund some of these real estate deals as an LLC um, or or whatever legal entity that you're choosing to use. Okay. All right. The fifth option <laughs> for financing deals through an LLC or you know if you're using a legal entity to, to buy properties is friends and family. You know, it's oldie but goodie. Um, as you establish track record of success with your real estate investments, <laughs> you know, start bragging about how well you've done <laughs> in a tasteful way, of course. But, you know, so a lot of times your friends and family are willing to invest in your success, right? And you can pay them interest instead of paying a lender or a credit card company or, or a HELOC. Which could be or, appealing or, to them as well. Yeah. So, you know, in a, in a, in an ideal world, it's a win-win where they're collecting high interest or, or a reasonable interest rate on their money, and uh, and they feel secure in lending you that money. As if you are someone who is experienced in real estate investing and you do have a good track record of success, this tends to work best when they come to you rather than you going out and hitting them up with you know with your palm <laughs> out, out uh, for money. But you know, people are going to ask you about what you're up to, right? You know, what you're up to work-wise. And, uh, you know, you can talk about some of the the properties that you're investing in and some of the returns that you've seen on them. Uh, you can talk about things that, you know, you know challenges that you faced and, you know, the creative ways you got that you overcame those challenges and still mm -hmm. managed to make money, you know, all that stuff. And the more interest that they show in this, you know, you can take that as a sign that, you know, you can keep talking to them about it and, you know, potentially raise the idea of them, working with you in some way, right. shape, or form on your next mm -hmm. investment. So just well, make sure that amongst friends. Yeah. Just, just make sure that you are, uh, that you're not gambling with your friends and family's money. Oh. You know, only do this if you really do have a, a deeply established track record and you know, you are an experienced real estate investor uh, while you're building that experience, stick with portfolio lenders, yes. traditional mortgage lenders. The last thing you lenders. want is, an issue with a family or a friend. Yeah, because, you know, the collateral here is your relationship with them. And you can, if you burn that, you know, you, it's not just a, a financial loss for you. It's also the loss of, yeah. of your close family and friends. Denny, is there anything else you want to bring up or cover on this topic of borrowing money for LLC owned properties? No, I just think that it's good that everybody has all these options because, you know, back in the day when I was getting involved, you know, there was called the mortgage lady, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what you had. Right. So there's a lot of creative options out there. So there's really very little to stop you once you're ready to get involved. Absolutely. And if you weren't able to write down every single thing that, you know, we listed there, we'll link to resources where you can see all of these options listed out and some reputable lenders of from each category uh, to check out. So Absolutely. on that note, we're going to wrap it up and we will catch you on the flip side. See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Did you know we offer a free eight video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long 
but packed with information. Visit sparkrental.com slash learn for instant access. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us, and we will catch you on the flip side. Shh.